Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. Now that's comic books, everybody. Don't get it twisted. This is the only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. I am one of those two brothers slash kind of comedian slash lifelong comic book fan. Most of my life, not the first couple of years, but pretty soon into it. Will Hines. I'm the other one of all those things and oh so much more. <laughs> uh, Kevin Hines. I like that you're becoming this sort of alpha swaggering member of our duo. Yeah. Only for the intro. I, I lose that you, swagger almost you, immediately. Yeah, you lapse right back. Then people ask questions and are like, which superheroes are you? And I'm like, Will Superman and I'm Jimmy Olsen's poop. <laughs> you usually make it worse than that. It's like, Will <laughs> Superman and I'm the staple that holds together the the pages. I'm worse than Jimmy Olsen's poop? <laughs> yeah. You wish you were Jimmy Olsen's poop. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah I guess you're right. He probably goes on cool adventures. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Olsen, some of the most famous adventures in comic books. Giant Turtle. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, one you can think of. That's all I got. Uh, <laughs> so, Kevin, we're going to do um, Squadron Supreme this mm-hmm. episode. We're going to begin our coverage of Squadron Supreme. We're going to cover the first three issues today. Mm-hmm. This is the 1985 12-issue miniseries of Squadron Supreme. There's been other incarnations and reboots, but I think that this is the this is the primary one that people think about when they say Squadron Supreme. When you say Squadron Supreme and you are 40 something, this is for sure what you think of. <laughs> well, yeah, I can't definitely. speak for other people, but uh, uh this is this is it. Some of there's 10-year-olds who say Squadron Supreme and they mean something else. I mean, well these characters are currently in Marvel Comics a lot right now. They're like in a they're showing up in the Avengers a lot that Jason Aaron is writing uh a, uh, Straczynski, uh, Straczynski, who did a great run on Amazing Spider-Man and created Babylon 5, right? That was a sci-fi show, am I thinking that? That, that is a show. I don't know who cre- uh, um, created he, he wrote a series called Supreme Power about them. So they, hmm. they are, they've had more recent incarnations, but I still think this is the most famous one of people of at least a, a slightly advanced age. Yeah, and this is definitely, I think, what solidified them as as characters to that could even be returned to it kind of elevated yeah. them from occasional villain to like they got their they, own thing going and they already existed when this series started but this yeah. series was like taking them to the next level i guess well i feel like we're uh, getting ahead of ourselves this, this is are. what we're going to cover let's in a wrap second. up uh, uh, that's our episode 12, everybody <laughs> issue 12 uh, i thought which i have not read yet uh made me cry um well uh i i just so I feel like we're slowly evolving to a point where we actually have segments. One of the segments that I'd we like used to, to have, have segments and they've gone away and now they're starting to come back. I feel like they're starting to come back. Mm-hmm. And um, I was going to I was thinking one of our segments could just be sort of a check in with like MCU stuff like TV and movies stuff. But yeah, sure. I got nothing new. Like I've, I sort of caught up and I think it's I think I'm caught up on everything. Does it have to be MCU? Could be DC stuff. Just t- I watched, TV and uh, movies. Uh, I watch Legion of the Super Pets. Okay, which let's is talk a DC about it. property. How was um, it? My son, I took my son to. Who a I do book not shop. acknowledge. I do not mm-hmm, acknowledge, right. and I don't think he exists. My son, who is uh, six years old, I took him to a comic shop a while back because I was picking up some magic cards because I'm really cool. Uh, and while I was there, I was like, "Here, look through this shelf of kids' books. If there's something you want, let me know." Uh, and he, the first book he saw, he's like, "Oh, this is what I want." I'm like, "Well, look at all the books." <laughs> and then pick the one that's most interesting to you, not the first one in your eyes, because he's going to want them all. And then he said, oh, there's a book about crypto. 
and he knew about crypto from some cartoon or something that he had read or some library book. Uh, and it was called Legion of the Super Pets. And so he pulled it out and he sat down and he read the whole book while I went about my shopping. Yeah. And then we bought that book and we left and he loved it. He ate it up. Um, and it's a sort of a sequel to the movie that came out recently starring The Rock. I don't know if you've heard of The Rock, Will. He's I haven't. Super, he's a megastar. Hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of um, WWE and Fast mm-hmm. and the Furious and yeah. The Mummy. Only the Scorpion okay. King movies. Sure, I, don't, sure. I don't know who this is, who you're talking okay. about. He's in all those things you mentioned. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Which one? Which guy? <laughs> um, the Scorpion King. <laughs> That's his most famous role at this point. Hmm. You know, that guy never caught my attention. Uh, that's probably true of most people who saw those movies. Uh, anyway, so I've been trying to get him to watch Legion of the Super Pets for a while because he watches the same things over and over and over again. I'm like, just watch anything new. <laughs> uh, and he wouldn't watch it. And so I was like, well, I'm going to watch Legion of the Super Pets. You're welcome to watch it with me or you can just do whatever you want. And he sat down and he watched it and he loved it. Oh, and wow. It's a movie about crypto. As Superman is getting married to Lois Lane is the plot. Okay. And crypto is feeling left out. Okay, I think that's a good start. It's a great start. And in the the mix of this, he meets up with a bunch of other dogs and animals that get superpowers because of orange kryptonite that gives animals superpowers. Oh, I love it. Including a guinea pig that was experimented on by Lex Luthor and worships Lex Luthor and becomes like a supervillain guinea pig. That's very fun. It's very fun. Like there's Ace the Bat Hound, who is indestructible, voiced by Kevin Hart. Oh, uh, I loved the, him in that movie, uh, Central Intelligence, and whoever else was in that movie. It was The Rock. The Rock was the other person in that movie. Which guy? I know who Kevin Hart was. Um, he was the guy in the Central Intelligence. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, Kate Kate McKinnon from SNL was the guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and then there's like uh, a turtle that's super fast. There is a pig that can grow really big and grow really small. Hmm. Um, there is a squirrel with electrical powers. Uh, and if you know the characters that they're based on from the comic books, let me say right here, it doesn't match up. Okay. Because uh, Chip, <laughs> the squirrel who has electrical powers, is a sentient alien in the comic books. Okay. Uh, Ace the Bat Hound has no powers in the comic books. But right, in this I... cartoon, they all have powers, and it's a blast. <laughs> um, and also, the Justice League is also in this movie. Um, Superman is voiced by John Krasinski, who's a very good Superman. Now, who's he? Uh, I love The Office. Anyway, um, he has a lot of fun. Like, he he gets a lot of humor off of just like going, Oh, I love my little doggy. <laughs> and all the Justice League people are like, Oh, Superman, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, but like all Justice League movies, Batman steals this movie. <laughs> He's voiced by Keanu Reeves, and he is hilarious. <laughs> How is it that Batman has become such a reliable comedic character, right? Like Lego Batman, he's so funny. And honestly, in Justice League International, Batman is so funny, right? He's so funny in this movie. (laughs) Keanu Reeves, first of all, is a great Batman. Um, (laughs) He, uh, there's some sequence where Lex Luthor talks about how he has a rocket ship in his building. He's like, all billionaires have rocket ships in in their buildings. And Batman goes, it's true. (laughs) <laughs> and it's very, very funny. It's just like uh, there's a sequence where Batman and Ace bond over their parents losing their parents. <laughs> and it's very, very funny. Uh, there's like a number of sequences where Batman just says things. And I'm just like, oh, man, he says like 12 lines in the movie. And I think like 11 of them made me laugh. <laughs> um, but it's genuinely a fun movie. It's nothing like 
super surprising mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of like, oh, I didn't see it going this way. Right. You know, it's it's maybe yeah. speaking of the Lego movies, I feel like like some of those Lego movies when I first saw them as the original Lego movie I'm thinking of was like yeah. way better than I expected it to be, for example. Yeah. This is about as good as you would expect it to be. I don't think it's way better, but it's not bad and it's fun and it's animated well and the voice acting is funny and, you know, everyone becomes friends is sort of (laughs) the plot of the movie, I guess. But uh, it's great. And like the sequence where they just show Crypto and Superman like fighting crime and saving people is genuinely one of the best Superman movies I've seen since Christopher Reeve was Superman. It was just like, it's just fun to see him be Superman. Yeah, Un, like unearnest, like earnestly rather, uh, unironically, just like saving trains and picking people up, and crypto helping him, and it's just great. This is also sequences where crypto tries to pretend to be a regular dog in his secret identity, and those are also very funny. This sounds like a good movie. It's great, and Cameron, my son, loved it. Doesn't exist. Uh, so that was a, a good win, and he talked yeah. about it for a while. We tried to watch the bad guys a few nights later, and he was less interested. But <laughs> what's the bad guys? It's based on a series of oh, children books. Yes, yes. It's like the uh, big bad the, wolf and yeah. Right, right. And it, it it's beautifully animated, but there was a scene where a, a wolf almost kissed a fox and it lost him. <laughs> He's like, watch his scenes like that. He goes, I don't think I want to watch any more of this movie. Okay. Like, Is it because they might kiss? I don't think they're going to, first of all. He's like, I think I'm done. Daddy, remember that heist they pulled off? I'm like, buddy, they're going to do more heists in this movie. That's mostly what this movie is. I'm done watching it. Okay. <laughs> the Princess Bride is so realistic. The the I don't want to watch a kissing scene in a way that I oh, never yeah. really fathomed. Because um, he covers his face when people are kissing. I remember and other that. than that, like it's like very scary scenes. Sometimes he'll get nervous by, mm-hmm. but like I don't know, not that bad. It's 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 love that makes him cover his face. A true Heinz. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Legion Super Pets, I think is good. It's on HBO Max, um, which you know they pay us a lot of money. So, <laughs> but I would recommend it anyway. Okay. A lot of HBO Max, Warner Brothers is going through a lot of problems. They've cut a lot of properties. They've canceled a lot of movies and shows. It's because they're paying us so much. Us, the Milksaps. Yeah, you and me, Will. Oh, yeah, our sponsorship's off the charts. Yeah, they pay us a lot of money. like, don't advertise for us. No Um, commercials. No, Yeah, this is a secret. This is a secret, your sponsorship. Yeah. And we were the one who made the demands. We're like, get rid of all those shows. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel bad about that. I was excited about some of those properties. I just wanted to see if they would do it, you know? And they did. Cat was like, cancel cancel Westworld. Batgirl. Batgirl's the one that just got, it was made, right? Like, they made it. They were like nearing the end of it, I think. But they they were like, uh, also Westworld had one more season and I was like, cancel it. (laughs) Yeah, you went out of your way to get rid of that one. And they did. And I was like, oh man, I hope people didn't like it. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, I think that's my MCU roundup as Will would call it. Okay, that'll be, I guess we should have a different name, movie and TV (laughs) roundup. Uh, Mary Milksop Marching Society, if you got any names for our movie and TV segments, we'd love to hear that. We need a name for that segment. Um, and how about just any other just general movie TV stuff? I'm trying to watch Barry Lyndon, <laughs> the Stanley Kubrick movie from 1975. Oh, okay. Um, because I'm listening to Blank Check the podcast, and they're they're going over all the Kubrick ones, and I and I've seen most Kubrick movies, but I hadn't seen Barry Lyndon, so I was like, I guess I'll watch it. It's so boring to me. I it's it's like I'm I'm fighting my way through. Like I'm watching it in 20 minute chunks. I watched way more She Hulk in a row than I've ever watched Barry Lyndon in a row because I. I just I just can't get caught up in it. It looks beautiful. It's weirdly like 
micro interesting and macro boring. Like each individual sequence is kind of interesting, mm -hmm. but I don't care about the overall story. You know what I mean? So I never, yeah. I'm never curious to start it up again and see what's happening. Um, I watched the movie Confess Fletch. Oh yeah, I heard this is good. Um, I love the book Confess Fletch. Right. So I, oh, I forgot. I, was... I forgot what we're dealing with here. We got it. We got yeah, yeah. Kevin loves and, the and, source material problem, and so that hurt it a lot. I think John Hamm is great in this. I think he is perfect. I think he is a no, great. Who's John Hamm. I love Mad Men. Oh no, I'm not. He's okay. 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 He's a wrestler. <laughs> um, I think John Hamm is really great in this, and I think he's really well cast. But basically, and I and I can't separate myself from the book I love so much. Like every change they made, I was like, I was trying to be open minded. I was like, okay, let's see. Is there a reason they would do this change? And I was like, I just can't. I don't know why they would make these changes. It mm -hmm. seems to make this story less interesting, mm -hmm. more straightforward. I guess. Mm -hmm. um, is maybe Flynn they, in this movie? He's not, and he's it's, a big part of what's great about Confess Fletch. There is a Flynn like character. And it, that's one of the things that bothered me. I, I thought maybe here's what I told myself based on no information. Okay. Maybe they don't have the rights to Flynn. Okay. He's got his own series of books. Maybe the, you know, the McDonald uh, family, not the McDonald's family, but the Gregory McDonald's family that owns right. the rights to Fletch. Maybe they want to sell Flynn separately. So they don't want it tied to this movie. That's what I told myself, but there is a character who fills that role. And he is, they, they go out of their way to say he's an inspector which is part of what Flynn is. And it's a confusing part that makes no sense and confess Fletch and doesn't really get fleshed out till. So it feels later. like it might be like a leg, like a vestigial thing. Like maybe he used to be Flynn. Yeah. But I'm just sort of like, cut that part. Yeah. That, that adds nothing to this movie other than remind me that this is not Flynn. Mm -hmm. Also, like my favorite part of Flynn was that Flynn never arrested Fletch. He uh, right. constantly asked Fletch to, to confess. But then when, when, when other people would be like, are you going to arrest me? He goes, no. <laughs> He's like all the evidence points to Fletch being criminal, a criminal. He's like, mm, I'm going to let him go. <laughs> and it would drive everyone crazy. And he, he was reluctant. Flynn is what they would call him. And they at one point in this movie refer to this guy who's Monroe as slow-mo Monroe, <laughs> which is a great name. But it's, it's at the very end. It's not like a thing they talk about during the movie. I'm like, well, that should be his thing. And also he at one point arrests Fletch. And he <laughs> seems like he's intent on like catching Fletch. And I'm just like. Oh, that wasn't what Flynn seemed to be about. Flynn seemed to be about, I would be really convenient if Fletch confessed. Flynn seemed to be more about, in the book, oh, I wish Fletch would confess because then the crime is solved. Right. But if he doesn't confess, I don't think it's him. <laughs> and there's something very fun about that. And that's all lost. Anyway, I think it's a fun movie. And I'm hearing, outside of this review you're giving me, I'm hearing mostly, I would say, very positive things about th there, that movie. There's no question when it ended, I go, I hope they make another one. Because after the first two Fletch books, I'm less attached to the later books. I've read a bunch of them and I enjoy them. But the first two I love. They're like two of my favorite books. And so I, I get anxious about the changes that are made. Okay. Uh, where the less uh, the later ones, I won't care about the changes. The stories don't matter to me as much. How do you feel about the Chevy Chase adaptation? It's different enough. It, it weirdly follows the story pretty well. It's just a little hammier and sillier. Um, I, I also saw that before reading the book, so mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. changes everything. I think John Hamm is a better book Fletch. Okay. And there's a little bit of Chevy in his performance, like just a dash, which I think is enough to satisfy people who come from that movie. Okay. Um, but he's closer to the book Fletch. There's just the Fletch is a less of a uh the identity thing and sort of the 
the smarm is not really part of Fletch. Fletch is sort of though like kind of a a, a talker, right? He's a guy who's sort of this. He's a bit of a con man. Yeah, like there's a, a this is verbatim from the book and the movie. Like he calls the police station to let them know there's been a murder in the building he's staying in, and they're like, "You should be calling nine one one. It's a murder." He's like, "Well, it's not an emergency. She's already dead." And like that's very Fletch. It's like that's very clever and sort of annoying. Yeah, yeah. For the policeman, he's like, they're like, can you just hang up and call nine one one? He's like, can you just take a message and give it to homicide? I think they'd love to hear about this. <laughs> uh, and like that's very Fletch. Like that whole idea of just like, ah, it seems like a waste to call nine one one. So I'm not going to do that. Um. Anyway, uh, I like the first Fletch. Uh, I like both the Fletch movies uh, in, in, in as their own thing. The second Fletch movie has nothing to do with any of the books. But mm. I enjoyed Confess Fletch. I hope people see it. I hope it does well enough that they make a third Fletch movie uh, or a second John Hamm Fletch movie, I guess. Um, well, are there two Chevy Fletches? There's two. There's Fletch and Fletch Lives. Okay. And so then this is really the third Fletch the third, movie. So a fourth Fletch movie. Sorry. Right. Yes. A fourth book adaption, because the second one was not based on any book. But okay. I would love to, like, they hint at adapting another Fletch book at the end of this movie. They, like, refer to the one of the other books, of which title I cannot remember offhand. But definitely they, they refer to a plot of another book. Like, he seems like he's going to go off and do that story next. Okay. Interesting. And I hope they do. It's on HBO Max. No, Our it's sponsor. On, it's, on show, it's on Showtime, I think, actually. Um. Right, who well, don't that's... sponsor us and, and don't pay us any money. <laughs> and HBO Max has asked us to promote them. <laughs> HBO Max is they're beguiling sponsors. So Squadron Supreme, Will. Okay, Squadron Supreme. So um, who are Squadron, like in general, what are these characters? Well, they're, they originally, they came up in the 70s, created by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. We can't say his name right, but it's, John Buscema, that's you know who I mean, mm-hmm. and they're sort of like analogs to the Justice League. They're sort of like '60s DC characters. Like, there's a Superman-ish character called Hyperion, and there's a Wonder Woman-like character called Princess Power. And not all, I mean, they have similar power sets. They sort of act like the '60s good guy corporate version of these superheroes. Yeah. And so, um, I think originally it was like. In I think the when Avengers, they first showed up, they were villains. They were villains, and then later they became they were good guys, and they were in the Avengers books as a sort of like almost like oh the Avengers are crossing over with the Justice League, but yeah, to avoid copyright problems, we made up our own knockoff Justice League from another universe. And I think the there was maybe the first time they showed up, if not the first time, the second time there was a there was a secret crossover where the Justice League book at the same time had a crossover with Avengers knockoffs oh okay interesting i didn't know that um, and like the, the writers like worked it out together and be like oh this would be fun we'll tell this story from two different sides and like it's sort of like you know they went in different ways but like there's like a captain america and a hawkeye uh, in this other book i feel like in the early 70s the comic book industry was just like imploding and dying and it was just like 10 people were making all of marvel yeah. <laughs> and dc comics and they were like roommates and like when yeah talk to each other and be like, you're doing a swamp thing. I'll do a man thing or vice versa. Actually, you're doing a man thing. I'll do a swamp thing or whatever. And the word, the Somebody comics the world got was like, what about the heap? Yeah. Um, comics world got very small. So I guess that kind of makes sense. But then in the eighties, Mark Grunewald, uh, the uh, guy who is probably most famous for writing Captain America for a long time in the eighties, although he's written a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
um, took it upon himself to write a 12-issue miniseries, which is what we're reviewing, taking the Squadron Supreme characters and kind of like doing what if superheroes tried to tackle real-life problems? Like what if they tried to solve gun gun abuse and hunger and you know real crime and and just like and sickness and cancer like what if these magically powered beings tackled that stuff and and, and that's and, kind of what the series is and taking advantage of the fact that it's not in a continuing universe where you could sort of break these characters if you need to for the story right right it's that there's no you can't have superman save the world and end hunger in dc comics because then you have to deal with that reality from then on yeah but these guys are nicely tucked away in their own little universe mm -hmm. and so you can do that um it also expands the characters and we learn more about them um and i guess it has the deep misfortune of having come out the same time as watchmen which is also saying hey what if superheroes had more realistic reactions to what if there was a more realistic world of superheroes, but did it a thousand times better and more commercially successfully? And I think just blew Squadron Supreme out of the water. Yeah. Um, and so Squadron Supreme is kind of always known as Marvel's Watchmen, sort of, right? I don't think it was yeah. planned that way. I don't think Mark Grunewald probably even knew about Watchmen, but like they came out at the same time. So they're sort of like. Yeah. Well, Mark Grunewald and Alan Moore were also roommates. <laughs> Yeah, Mark they were living lived in Nottingham, England. <laughs> yeah. Or what is yeah. it? Northampton? Alan Moore would be the worst roommate. You'd and think so. would be a great roommate. You'd think so, but maybe Alan Moore's great, you know? He's, he's like, oh, I just, uh, I conjured up some holy water. You want to, you want to splash no of holy water? Now what he's like. <laughs> um, I don't believe it. Uh, I will say the, and I've only read the first three issues of Squadron Supreme, but we'll get into this plot in a second maybe or maybe we'll take a break and get into the actual issues in a second but mm -hmm. the one difference i'd say between the one difference the, one of the main difference i think for me with squadron supreme and watchmen is like watchmen is sort of like what if superheroes were real people they'd be broken right mm -hmm. they'd be broken human beings yeah like and like be, you wouldn't be a superhero if you weren't broken it's sort of like almost yes. the thesis right you couldn't be even dr manhattan if there wasn't something wrong with you exactly uh, where this comic doesn't necessarily say that to me, and maybe it gets into that more later, but it's more, uh, what if these superheroes tried to actually save yeah. the world, not by punching out bank robbers? I, yes, I, I totally agree. There, there's something more earnest and hopeful about Squadron Supreme. And it's also a bit more directly and earnestly trying to answer the question, what if the Justice League tried to save the world really? Yeah. Whereas Watchmen is sort of like, eh, what if I'm just a little stinker and I just show you a hilariously cynical interpretation yeah. of every superhero trope? Yeah, I mean, like the the uh, hang on. if Rorschach's the Batman character of uh, uh, Watchmen, Watchmen, he is a broken, obsessed, insane conspiracy nut. Yeah, where, and he's also where, a right wing, on maybe like kind of like anti-immigrant, sort of yeah. like you know uh, that that kind of person. Where Nighthawk is more of like, I really think I can solve people, and I, I have a high moral, and I believe in what my stance. But I think I can, but I trust my friends. And like, he, he is a good man who's trying yeah. to do something. Yeah, um, um, I will say so. To me, that makes Squadrons be more. And I'd love to have you haven't read this comic, but I'd love to have our listeners write in their thoughts on this. Squadron Supreme feels more like 
to me a authority uh, ancestor or a descendant, no ancestor, an ancestor of the authority series, which is a Warren Ellis series with Brian Hitchart, where that involved like sort of another sort of, there weren't quite justice league uh, analogs, but they were like super powered, very powerful superheroes who decided like, well, we're the best suited to fix problems, not humans. So let's just, we are the authority. Let's just do it. Let's we'll take down all the bad guys. Like we'll take out world leaders if we think they're bad and we will mm-hmm. plant crops and do all that sort of stuff. And um, it was a hugely popular comic and sort of changed the comics of the time with sort of like, oh, these guys are so cool. So cool. In fact, that people are like the real Superman stinks. These characters are better. And there was so, sort of like a weird mm. balancing act of like, well, what? these guys aren't saying Superman is lame. This is just a different story. And like other writers kind of had to be like, here's what makes Superman cool. And a little back and forth. But anyway, the authority was a very popular comic. And and this reminds me of the authority a lot. Again, the first three issues of Squadron Supreme. I don't know. Maybe it'll take a turn, but I'm reading this and I'm like, Ooh, Warren Ellis read Squadron Supreme and said, I'm going to do this with a modern storytelling skills. Yeah. Um, so if, you, if you've read it, write in and let me know if I'm cr- crazy or if I'm on target with that. Why don't, why don't we take a break and we'll actually dive into these issues? I think that's a good idea, Will Hines. All right, Kevin Hines. All right, and we are back. So we'll talk about the we'll talk about the first three issues. We're not going to go page by page, but we'll go through a little bit of the plot of each three issues. And it's really we're doing four issues worth of stuff because issue number one is a double issue. Yeah. One thing that was sort of weird and surprised me is that I assumed this series would be sort of isolated, like its own little continuity. But it ties directly into, I guess, stuff that happened in the Defenders and the Avengers. Yeah, yeah it picks up with it. It it deals with where the story was left off, which had been years at this point. Yeah, which feels like a mistake to me. But I guess you just they weren't thinking about like collected editions and, and stories in isolation, right? That much. I mean, I think in general, one of the things that I was struck by when I read it was how conventional this comic is. Like it's it's very much like here's the good guys, here's the bad guys, these are their names and powers. You know, it is being told as if it's the middle of an ongoing 60 issue run. It's yeah, not yeah. treated. It's not treated like a special event. Like even the Secret Wars felt like more of a. When you read issue one of Secret Wars, it feels like there's something different going on from a yeah. regular comic. This is just this does not have event feel. Yeah, even though you have to meet all the characters in Secret Wars, it doesn't feel like you missed the zero with issue. Like yeah, this feels like more like issue eighteen of a Squadron Supreme series. <laughs> Like the best arc of the great Squadron Supreme series or something is what I guess this would be. Yeah, I I found that surprising and confusing. Not confusing because I could follow it. I wasn't like lost ever. But like they're dealing with the aftermath of the Squadron Supreme sort of being. uh, Mentally controlled by a villain named the Overmind. Yeah, where the Overmind try to take over the world using the Squadron Supreme as pawns. And like whatever, the Avengers and the Defenders help them win win and get their minds back so that's like the aftermath and cleaning up of this and i'm like oh that's sort of messy it also to deal with that has the overmind's scheme has left 
the world in sort of a post-apocalyptic state. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And I thought that, that like was there, also there, surprising. There were wars that have ripped up countries. The economy has collapsed. There's hunger. I mean, there's famine. There's um, riots. There's riots. Like the the, the or, order has fallen yeah. on this earth, and we're in the middle of that when we start. I I almost feel like it could be a good story just seeing them like repair the world from that, which doesn't really seem like the, I mean, there's a little bit of that in here, but it feels like this is more about like fixing all of society's ills very quickly. Yeah. It's like the world is in such bad shape when this starts. I'm like, is this the whole series just getting it back to normal? It it felt like there, there was more uh, enjoyment to be had out of showing us post-apocalyptic earth, like alternate earth where everything has fallen. Mm-hmm. And they didn't bother to do that really. It's there's a lot of stuff that happens off panel and a lot of just like tell, don't show happening in Squadron Supreme. Um it's uh, even for a double-sized issue, it's dense. Yeah, well, he yes. Uh Mark Grunewald, the writer, uh, and I guess the artist who named Bob Bob Hall. Mm-hmm. The first couple pages, they kind of dutifully introduce you to all of the squadron like you pretty quickly meet everybody and see their name and their powers and even a little bit of like their personality and interpersonal relationships like some of them are dating and some of them are the leader and Mm -hmm. you know you'll meet someone and they'll be like hmm still he's still upset over being the whatever of the group or something yeah and so there's just a ton of exposition sort of given I, i guess it's done efficiently or whatever but that's what i mean by conventional comic like yeah, it's also such a big cast that there's a lot to there's a lot like and maybe he would if he had started this fresh, he would have not had whatever. It's like 16 members or whatever it is. That's a lot to begin with. It's hard uh, to not compare it to Watchmen. But in Watchmen, like you meet the people over wow. the first four issues, like you do not meet everybody. Yeah. Right away. And there's um, not this many characters, really total, uh, anyway. major characters, at least total. Right. It, it, that, okay, but that said, stuff it's it's dense, which can be off-putting. But something that I did like is things move pretty fast. Like decisions are made, and they like decide to fix society by like page seven or something like that. Like the premise is established pretty early. Yeah, uh, there's there's lots overall. The story I I was not as wowed by, it, and I also wonder. It, I probably I got to imagine would have felt differently if I read this in the eighties when it came out or even a few years after. Yeah. Uh, if I had been like reading justice league for a few years and then read this, this probably would have really knocked my socks off, but I didn't, I'm reading it now. I so actually... part of it, part of it felt like traditional, but then there, even within this traditional story, there's moments I'm like, Oh, that's a cool idea. Oh, that's a fun thing. I like yeah, that. I, that's. I actually think my overall take here, if I'm going to give my overall kind of oversimplified reaction to the first couple issues is I think the the story actually is pretty interesting. Like if Mark Grunewald was just given the elevator pitch to somebody of what he wanted to do, it's pretty gutsy. There's lots of like interesting turns, um, but the execution of it, and I'm talking about like dialogue, like sort of panel by panel mechanics is is kind of weak or rushed. So it's almost like the outline of the story of Squadron Supreme is, I think, compelling but the sort of, I don't know, cinematography and dialogue is kind of tossed off in a way. I mean, it might have been difficult for them to do, but that's what it feels like. And again, I don't know how much of this comes from the original characters, but like there are some interesting choices like the Green Lantern analog power prism 
is sort of a jerk. He's like a party boy. He's like a playboy, yeah. like wants to sleep with his groupies and he's kind of a juvenile, almost the way like um, Wally West was at one point. Right? Yeah, right. But then like Powered Princess is very interesting to me. She's even she seems even more Wonder Woman-y than most Wonder Woman stories I've read, where she feels very much like her job is to save the world by introducing her society's morals into it, right? Yeah. And she's like still dating her Steve Trevor, who's like an old man now. She's still with him. Yes, that is very interesting. Like he's aged because he's a, like he kept the World War II pilot or whatever that she met that took her out of her uh, utopian world, utopia. Uh, and she's still with him and she still loves him. It's, it, it, it kind of, I love that. Yeah, so that's like, really, just, sorry. That's, that's really interesting. And then, um, at one point, Squadron Supreme, when they decide to save the world, they all unmask. And so another interesting thing that happens is our Superman character, Hyperion, goes to his lowest lane, confirms that he indeed has been this secret identity who she's been dating, the Clark Kent or whatever, and that he's an alien. They could never have kids and they should break up. And so they do. Yeah. Like that's sort of an interesting turn. It's like, well, we're not we're not the same biology, so we have to break up. Yeah. And she's just like, get out of here. Like, that's an interesting page here in Squadron Supreme. Um, Yeah. And so, like, basically the, the first issue, which we sort of hinted at, is that the squadron decides, hey, while we, we're we're fixing this world from the apocalypse that has kind of happened on it, we should go further. We should just fix everything. Let's let's get rid of crime. Let's let's get rid of hunger. Let's get rid of anything that hurts people. Let's just do it. We've always held back thinking, like, if we do that, we're interfering too much. Yeah. Or we're taking free will away. But it's like, we're not. We're good people. We could just do this and make this world a better place. And it seems silly not to use our powers. I think they even dropped the great responsibility Spider-Man line in here. They it's do, like, yeah. We have this power. It's our, We're responsible to use it to help everyone as best we can. And everyone agrees except for the Batman character, Nighthawk. Who quits. Who just protest. quits. Yeah. This is their little – just to go back to the characterization, I'm just realizing the – the backstory of a lot of these characters is interesting. The wizard, which is the Flash character, is is a family man, right? Extremely devoted to his wife and kids. The Aquaman character, his best friends are dolphins, it seems like. like those, he doesn't seem to have family either. Yeah, there's no human family. The Tom Thumb sort of Oberon kind of guy who's yeah, a I mechanical wizard. To, I guess he's the Adam from the modern Justice League. But yeah, he's, he, he's more like Oberon from Justice League International, that's for sure. And his best friend is a computer. Like there's an AI, which is his love almost. He calls it his love. Mm -hmm. Nuke, who is kind of Captain Adam's power set, but, but Firestorm. Yeah, but kind of a young jerk hothead has two parents who are dying of radiation poisoning, which it turns out he gave them. Yeah. The, st the stage is set for like cool stories. I can see where Mark Grunewald was really like, invested in this i mean apparently i don't know if it's apocryphal but when grunewald died he stipulated that he wanted his ashes to be mixed in with his work and they mixed it in with the printing of squadron supreme i don't know if that's true or that's just like a yeah i've yeah. heard that too that uh one of the trade paperback printings his ashes were in the ink yeah so it's deeply personal to him and i could sort of mm -hmm. see why like he is taking for a guy who's just been doing monthly marvel comics in the early 80s He's taking some big swings here. And for Marvel Comics, they haven't really done superheroes like this. Even though Watchmen is happening at the same time, like other than like Frank Miller's Daredevil and, and a few things like that, sort of the, I don't know, these are bigger swings than Marvel takes with most of their characters. 
and and generally ever takes with their big characters, even to this day. Something for imprints and indie books. More this feels more like this feels more like an Eclipse Comics superhero book than Marvel Comics in a good way. So it 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 ends with the superheroes making a big press release. Uh, well, I guess we'll, we won't skip ahead yet. The issue one ends with a joint press conference. The Batman character, who in his secret identity is president of the United States, <laughs> yeah, but who was controlled by Overmind and therefore led. The destruction of human society is resigning. And at the same press conference, the Squadron Supreme are announcing they're giving up their secret identities and they're going to help save the world. And Batman was prepared to murder the Superman character at that point. Yeah, he made like a basically a kryptonite bullet. I forget what it's called in this book. I mean, he has the gun to Hyperion's back, but he just can't kill his friend, which I also like. I feel like it's less of a I, I don't. I don't I don't think I'd be as interested in a story where Batman kills Superman in issue one. I couldn't decide. I was like, oh, are they copping out by not by not do like what would Watchmen do? Like, I feel like Watchmen yeah. would find a different way to have it not work than the guy just change of heart. I feel like Batman killing Superman is the least interesting thing to me because it's almost so. Yeah, I think Batman versus Superman. I'm so tired of that in a sense. And that's the weight of all modern comics and movies and everything on top of it. But at the time, at the time this came out, like Dark Knight Returns was only six months before where like Batman fights Superman, you know. But but I can't forget like now, like everything I've seen from that. So I was kind of happy that didn't happen. I was like, oh, I'm more interested in like they're they're really going to try to make this world a better place. And how is that either going to go wrong or go right? I actually don't know how this book ends, so. I assume it won't go right. It just doesn't feel like it can. I, I think so. And given the, some of the decisions they make around, I'm, I'm, I've read six issues at this point. So some yeah. of the decisions they make certainly seem to be setting up for failure. Yeah. So let's move into issue two, mm-hmm. entitled A Small Sacrifice. So this is them actually starting to implement their plan. So we see them like delivering food to the cities that have been having trouble getting food. Yes. And th- they're sort of out there do, and they're like rounding up criminals. And in this issue, that stuff kind of goes well. They're They're mostly able to do stuff in this issue on that regard. But also we learn about some emotional like subplots and things about the characters. Yeah, this is where Nuke, who who realizes his parents are dying of cancer and he thinks he gave it to them. He asks Tom Thumb to cure cancer. Right. I like the idea of having asking this guy to cure cancer, but there is an aspect he's like, you should be able to do this, no problem, uh, to get ahead of the story a little bit. When Tom Thumb says, I couldn't do it, he's like, he's mad at Tom Thumb for not being able to cure a thing yeah. nobody's ever been able to cure. Yeah, he sees it as a personal betrayal, which that I that was very unrealistic to me, even you know within a comic book thing. I was like, come on, dude. Like, he yeah. tried. Like, he tried. It wasn't like he didn't get around to it. Yeah. Um, he's uh, like, oh, and- sorry, I was... I was playing Zork. <laughs> I didn't get to it. Good 80s reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Leisure Suit Larry's. I'm almost, was, you know. I was watching you know, war games. Now, now you're And talking. then Nuke would be like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, Tom Thumb, the Oberon guy, just does do an interesting thing. He uses a time travel to go visit their enemy, one of their enemies, which is a future sort of war or uh, emperor. And yes. Tom Thumb says, hey, there, I heard you once say there was no diseases in your time. Is that true? The guy goes, yes, I have a cure for all diseases right here. And I'll give it to you as long as you basically make it possible for me to destroy Superman in your world. Hyperion. Yeah, not kill him, but just like weaken him. But weaken Hyperion. Him. Right, yeah. but not kill him. It is an interesting thing. Just make him weaker. He could still win. Yeah, just give me a fighting chance. And so it's it's like literally held out 
in the bad guy's hands. In one hand is the disease, and in the other hand is the, the poison that he wants. I'm sorry. In one hand is the cure for all diseases, yeah. and in the other hand is a little bit of, you know, some poison type of thing to give to Hyperion. And Tom Thumb decides he can't betray Hyperion, and so he foregoes getting the cure. Yeah, and it's not like he tells Nuke that, right? So Nuke doesn't know he almost could have had the cure. He goes, I couldn't do it. I couldn't figure out a cure in two days or whatever amount of time it's been. That type of moral quandary is what Squadron Supreme kind of like is. I think that's what Mark Grunewald's excited to do. It's like, let's ask these superheroes these kind of questions. You could save all of humanity. You just got to betray Superman. Is that a worthy trade-off? Do you kill Mr. Spock to save Starfleet? I mean, Nuke giving his parents cancer is also similar to Dr. Manhattan giving people cancer. Although that turned out to be false. He was just accused of it. But yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, an early plot point of both these books. They're identical. (laughs) I'm going to just jump a a little bit ahead and say that I largely did not love these issues, but I did sort of respect them. And one of the things I respected was it really it, it feels like it's earnest and has real heart that Mark Grunewald was truly interested and invested in exploring these questions and it comes through. I guess we should save that talk after we go through the issues. Yeah, I mean, I also, I would like, I almost would love this same story almost told a little better. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, because even like the idea of Tom Thumb kind of being disrespected by the team, having this close relationship with an AI is yeah. very interesting to me. And I, and I almost like, oh, I wish it had just a little bit more because I think that's fascinating. There's elements in here that have real depth and it's almost like Grunewald didn't have time or the real estate or maybe the ability to truly get into the nuance of it. Like he kind of glosses on by a lot of cool ideas. Or maybe he didn't, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was just his first shot at doing something like this. So he wasn't as practiced or something. Yeah. And like you said, it it still has like one foot in comics of the time and storytelling like it's it's kind of traditional in a lot of ways and so it's to be that traditional you got to keep moving and like you can't spend eight pages on like a relationship between tom thumb and a computer like you can throw a few panels on it and that's cool but you I, can't spend more time than you would spend on like uh gwen stacy and her dad having a fight about you know uh yeah him, him but, I, don't, I don't like you going you're gonna get hurt if you go chase down doc ock it's like, oh, it's not Spider-Man. We can't spend that much time on it. It sort of feels like there's that going on here where it's like, oh, in this story, you probably could have gotten away with it. Again, I think it's inevitable to not compare this to Watchmen, but you you could see that Alan Moore in the same number of panels would have made the relationship between Tom Thumb and his AI somehow mm-hmm. more intriguing. Somehow he would have been able to play. He was just, Alan Moore was playing at such a high level of human, of what human behavior is like. Sure. There'd be I mean, something can, almost freaky and like fun about Tom Thumb and his AI. And, and we'll, here it's kind of interesting, but it's it's sort of surface level somehow. Yeah, we'll we'll keep comparing these two. And it is the most unfair thing you can it do. It is the it's, most unfair thing. You're comparing Mark Grunewald, a very good writer, to Alan Moore. Most people would say the best yeah. writer. One of the one of the best comic book writers of and, all. And time. we're comparing Squadron Supreme, a critical darling mm-hmm. to Watchmen. One of the biggest mainstream hits in comic book history. <laughs> yeah, one of the most critically beloved and just like uh, successful stories ever. Yeah, it, it is unfair, but it's impossible not to. I mean, it just, it's crazy. It, it would be like if somebody released a time traveling DeLorean movie the same month as Back to the Future. It is comparing the, the Disney Black Hole movie to Star Wars. Yeah, it, it's kind of like that. And it's just like, eh, some people like the Black Hole. Star Wars is better. Maybe, maybe it's more <laughs> yeah, like everyone this. Everyone agrees. I, 
let, let me, let me, I know, I know it would be crazy. I'm going to actually tweak that metaphor a little bit. I think it's like comparing Logan's run to Star Wars. Yeah. Because Logan's run came out like the year before Star Wars, I think, right? And it's like it has like the special effects of a pre-Star Wars movie industry, like yeah, kind of cheap Star Trek looking. I mean, actually, I, actually, Logan's Run looks all right. Like Logan's Run is, I I really enjoy Logan's Run, but it definitely looks like dated. Like, and then mm-hmm. Star Wars is this quantum leap forward of visual effects, and Star Wars is kind of goofy, and a Western kind of good versus evil in a surface way, and Logan's Run actually has more questions to ask about society. Like, is it worth killing everybody over 30 to give a good life to those underneath 30? And is it worth to ignore history and to have police removing your freedoms to keep you safe? Like, the heart of Logan's Run is way deeper than the heart of Star Wars. Yeah. And I mean, yet, I think that's why I picked Black Hole, because I wouldn't say Watchmen has no interesting questions. Yeah, like, I guess you're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, I was trying to pick like another blockbuster e movie that just yeah. wasn't a blockbuster. Right, right. Uh, well, but yes. I mean, Logan Run is, was off, often cited as like a movie that sort of got overshadowed by Star Wars yeah. in the history books. Um, and similarly, when you watch Logan's Run, it's it's partly dated and flawed, but there is something to it that's really compelling and sort of cool. And I I guess I was feeling that way reading this. They both had Marvel comic adaptions, Logan's Run and Star Wars. That's probably what it was. It, yeah. Okay. So let's go to three. Um, so three gets a little more into Power Princess, her background a little bit. Um, and I kind of loved it because there's a bit where she, she has like, is it this one or is that two? Or is it one even now? Maybe I'm getting completely mixed up. Uh, where she talks about like how maybe it was issue one. Let me go back and talk about Power Princess. I really think it's interesting. Like when the world kind of got terrible, her people all left. I think that's one. Yeah. And and she stayed. And she like didn't give up hope. Right. Yeah. There's something very interesting being like, well, you failed. You made it a good shot. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And her reaction is like, no, I still think there's a chance. I still believe that this world can be a good place when every sign has shown me not. I think there's something very powerful about that. Okay, that's issue one. But I think Power Princess, I'm really fascinated by her in this first three issues. What happens in this issue with Power Princess is, first of all, the squadron has moved on to guns. They're taking guns away from everybody. Or they're making everybody register their guns. Yes. And, and sort of also beginning to shut down the factories that make guns. Like they're basically beginning the program of removing guns from society. Yes. And that's kind of an interesting thing that most superhero comics don't go near because it very much is a gun rights debate, right? Like there's a bunch of ordinary citizens who are refusing to give up their guns because they're like, well, we're going to have nothing to fight you guys with if we don't Mm -hmm. have guns, superheroes. And like it begins with a registration and the people don't want to register their guns because they're like, that's just step one for you taking them away. And they are correct in this reality. Um, and I was kind of like, wow, this is like a direct, this is what people talk about with the gun debate in America. Like, yeah, it's going after it in a way that you don't see in a lot of comics, uh, certainly of this time. Yeah, uh, and definitely. Power Princess is doing a PSA for getting rid of the guns or really registering the guns and our green lantern, uh, Dr. Spectrum, is that his name? Makes Uh, her top, makes her top fall off so that the TV crew sees her exposed body. Um, and that's kind of like one of the subplots of this issue. Yeah. I mean, that is, (laughs) that is a real, uh, 
awful thing. Like it, it made that character very unlikable. He went from just sort of being like a little smarmy, uh, one of the boys. Yeah, to like it's way stepping over the line. Yeah, and she's kind of like, hey, I don't even really care about exposing my naked body where I come from. That's not even a big deal. But I understand that your intention was to humiliate me, so I am mad at you. Yeah, and then she doesn't turn him in to the rest of the squadron, and he's and he's like, please stand up. And I was like, that feels weird too. Like, I think what again, he, maybe think, the other which, shoe drops, but like he seems, what he says is, uh, she's what a good sport. Yeah, something like that, which feels like. Yeah, she yeah, enab- said something enabling yeah, yeah. this kind of like uh, harasser. She does get minor revenge. He gets like a bum assignment to go find Nuke, which does end up kind of ruining his life. Yeah, he has to go find Nuke because Nuke's been missing since Tom Thumb, uh, you know, like failed the jerk he co- is, didn't cure cancer. Yeah, failed to cure cancer, and it turns out that Nuke's parents died, and he's been kind of like broken down. Um, and our man finds him and they get into a fight and Nuke dies. Yeah. Nuke goes to kill Tom Thumb. He's like, I better kill Tom Thumb now while I can before you guys stop me. And Dr. Spectrum for a moment goes, I guess he's going to get away with it. I'll let the everyone else know, but I don't think I can stop me. He's like, I got to try. And I do like that. Even though this guy's a heel, they do show him be a hero too. Yeah. Um, and he kills Nuke cause it's the only way to stop him. He doesn't mean to. He like contains Nuke and Nuke by con- containing him in some power bubble, right? And Nuke burns yeah. up all the oxygen and then dies. And it wasn't his intention to kill Nuke. Yeah. And it, it's sort of interesting because he he's wrecked by this. He feels terrible that he killed somebody and he's worried that everyone's going to think he did it on purpose. Nobody and thinks that. Nobody even, thinks that, but he is tortured by it. And even the younger brother of Nuke forgives him immediately. Which right. I thought was very convenient. Like that was like a little pat. Like I don't know. I thought you would know. I'd be part. happy. I'd be happy you died, <laughs> but I don't think I would forgive people for getting to do it. I'd be like, that was my thing. <laughs> the younger brother gets to kill the older brother. Everyone knows that. So I don't think I would have forgiven him so easily. Right. Yeah. You know. Now that we're talking through it, like there is a lot of like very sort of gutsy story decisions in this. Um. Again, it, the execution of it is so of its time that it just feels very shallow. Yeah. Um I don't know if shallow is the right word. It just it just feel it feels kind of very 1985, I guess. There's too much story for the time they get to put into it, I guess. Yeah, there is just a tremendous number of like characters and things that they're trying to go over. But also I wouldn't want this to be like a 36 issue series. Right. I know. It does seem like 12 is it I don't know. It's almost like just do completely original characters and don't have so many and you can go after all the same questions you want to do. Even though I'm, they're they're using where it started from. I do think this would have been better if they started from zero. Like this is Squadron Supreme, but we're not going to deal with the aftermath of their continuity with Marvel Comics. I think would have helped. And then you could have also easily removed characters or made them like very minor if they weren't part of the team, I would think. Also surprising, Nighthawk barely appears in the issues two and three. Right, and he's being set up as the main antagonist. He quits the group, and he's basically saying, and he almost kills Hyperion at the end yeah, of issue he's one. He's like, I'll find another way to stop them. And we haven't he seen thinks, him yet. He thinks that... Um, They're doing it the wrong way. Yeah, he thinks by doing this for them, you're just one step removed from being overmined. Yeah, just being an evil villain. And I'm and reminded he's sort of, of right. The, like, yeah, he's right. Right. No, he's totally right. Like the, I'm thinking of the Kurt Busiek, uh 
interview where he and um, Brent Anderson come up with uh, Alex Ross. Oh, it's Alex, Alex Ross and he, and they come up with mm-hmm. infidel or whatever. And like, yeah. I think in that interview is where Busek says the difference between a hero and a villain is the villain tries to control everything and the hero lets people decide. Yeah. I mean, at this point through three issues, they don't seem like they're trying to control everything. They're just trying to control bad things, but it's just so hard. Like you can't get to a point in that where it's like, well, now we can give you control back. I mean, it, can... it's, it's an interesting question. Like does Superman take out Vladimir Putin in, you know, in our world? Mm-hmm. Like the war in Ukraine could be over today if a Superman like figure got involved. Yeah. And uh, how does that affect things? And Watchmen's really one of the few stories at this point to to kind of take that head on. But it does seem like Squadron's willing to go there also. Yeah. I mean, this is also like Dark Knight Returns where Superman is sort of doing that sort of thing, but like in a more controlled manner. It's it's very interesting that all these these ideas were just percolating. In I wonder all if it's yeah, creators. I wonder if it's the, the Cold War, right? Like the you know, yeah. the evil empire of the Soviet Union and the threat of nuclear destruction was just on like everybody's mind. And like, well, boy, our superhero stories sure do seem silly compared with what would happen if Reagan hits the button or Brezhnev. I knew a lot of our listeners love this series. I'd love to hear some more of your guys' thoughts on that. And what what about it impacted you so much? Because I think Will and I respect this, but I don't know if we love it. We're not under its spell right now. I'll say that. Although I did read it at the time, and I have a memory of it ending strong. Yeah, like and I think I've only I re- read three issues. I think I remember finishing it at the time and being like, I think here's what I remember thinking. It was kind of like this was like, huh. Pretty cool. Like, I, I think that's yeah. kind of where I ended on this. And it, I mean, also, I, this comic probably came out month to month, unlike Watchmen. Or... It was probably on time. Yeah. Yeah. What my, my take here, three issues in, is that the idea of Squadron Supreme is better than the execution. But, oh, you know what else I was thinking, Kevin, as I read it? It is nice just to have an unironic story. There's just, there's no shawarma moments where like the heroes mm-hmm. are just being cool and kind of bro y and kind of. Spectrum power doesn't work like that, okay? Or it's like, uh, that's not how kryptonite works. Yeah. Sort of snarky stuff. It is pleasantly, like, uh, believing in itself, in a way. Like, I don't know. There's something very lovable about Squadron yeah, Supreme. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, those sort of quips come from just, like, beating people to the punch often to, like, yeah, to you're call it out before this. you can call yeah, it out. Yeah. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to make fun of ourselves, so you can't make fun of us. And this is not making fun of it. Yeah, I mean, one of my issues with MCU and even more so with like DC movies and and MCU less so, but still a good chunk of it is there's a little bit of shame of like some of the more superhero trappings of the stuff. Secret identities go away and costumes get more muted. Where like when you see the rare, when you see like the rare bright costume, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um. Instead of like, that's common in the comics. And it's now it's also in the comics, like, you know, those things, there's less secret identities and there's less like, there's less Spider-Man. I mean, it's one of the delightful things about the original superhero movies, right? Christopher Reeve Superman didn't apologize for being Superman. It was pretty yeah, cool. He, yeah. Uh, and this, sometimes I get very excited. And one of the reasons I really love the first season of the CW Flash is that it had secret identities. It had supervillains costumes code names it wasn't like the last episode he finally puts on his costume and goes call me the flash you know it's like he's the flash by like he's in the costume very early on he's calling himself flash a few episodes in and everyone he fights has super villain names some of them 
sort of ironically, like the Captain Cold character in that show sort of was like, oh, everyone has superhero names? Then I'm Captain Cold. And he sort of delights in the silliness of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was also like, he's embracing the silliness of it. And I kind of like, I was like, I wish. The first season of The Flash is really fun. And that last episode of the first season is really good. Like it's a... It's a terrific season of superhero. It's a great stuff. first season, but like sometimes I watch um, whatever. Like Scarlet Witch isn't the Scarlet Witch until the end of Wandavision, right? She doesn't use that name, right? They take and she's like she's just Wanda for so long, and I like it's like oh, isn't she always Scarlet Witch? That's what I always refer to her as. Like just give the names, but like they're I so tried, they're like a little embarrassed by the names sometimes. I went back and tried to watch the Netflix Daredevil episodes that are very loosely inspired by Born Again, the beginning of mm-hmm. season three, where he's like people love that season. He's in the orphanage and he's being cared for by the nuns. And there are shout outs to to Born Again throughout it, although it is not an adaptation of Born Again. And I don't know. It was just too slow. I just couldn't stay with it. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta get through Barry Lyndon. I can't, I can't fight through three different slow things yeah even and i've only watched the first season of daredevil but i was really shocked that they didn't have like it's tv like why didn't they have like a vision like his view of the world like showing his radar sense how he sees the world yeah like other than hearing heartbeats he doesn't really use his radar sense much at all in season one he's just like a ninja yeah and i was always like ah that's part of the cool part of him yeah uh, yeah, and it, it, that made that show feel like sort of embarrassed by the superhero side of Daredevil. It's like, let's just make him a ninja. That's the cool part. I'm like, yeah. And so some parts of that season were great, right? Like the fight sure. sequences were unbelievably good. The Ben Yura character was fantastic. Uh, yeah, there's definitely good parts of that. But I was sad that they didn't embrace I agree. the I superhero agree. side of Daredevil. Like he doesn't put on his costume to the last episode. His costume's not great, mind you. But it's like. It's also not great if you only see it for one seed. It's like use it for like when he's coming out of the flames in this red suit, it'd be so much cooler. <laughs> the devil comes do out that. of the flames. Yeah. But they don't do that. He comes out of the flames in his black ninja suit. It's like, okay, still cool, but it's not as it doesn't feel as not cool. As cool. As, yeah. Anyway, that's all. So it is, yeah, nice that these guys are superheroes and they've got powers and they fight supervillains. Yeah. And... There, there's a lack of apology that is either because mm-hmm. of this series or maybe just comics of that time and feels good it feels good um, um all right so next issue next episode we're gonna do how many more issues we don't know three or four we'll probably do three just because okay so i'm already yeah. i've already i've already read them kev well i mean i haven't so are you impressed you can record right now i guess you record I'll do my half. part right now yeah <laughs> good good and i'll <laughs> fill in my responses do we want to do any mail right now let's read two quick emails will hines let's shatter our episode organization where instead of only doing mail in our mailbags episodes if they're very relevant we're going to get to them sooner rather than later so let's let's read a couple mail yeah i mean especially i want to cover the ones that are about uh x-men and jm dematteis since it's so long further and further away by the time we get to mail again yeah some of these other ones are evergreen or someone writes us about squad and therapy we might do those we might hold off on them we'll kind of play it by ear yeah, you hear, so if you want to game the system, listeners, send us a Squadron Supreme email. You might get in sooner. You yeah, might cut the right. line. This email is from uh, Michael, and uh, he writes, Dear Heinz Brothers, I really enjoyed your run covering Claremont's X-Men. It was fun listening to people roughly my age and demographic for the first time encountering the comics I loved as a kid. I am sad you are stopping and hope it is just a pause. Some of the best is yet to come. If, my sh- if I may share a few parting thoughts. In rereading these with you, I'm surprised by how rough the writing is. 
Like you, I felt a sudden shift in the early 190s when the maturity and the clarity of the writing felt more like what I remembered from my childhood. I think if you someday choose to continue, you'll find the writing to be more consistent. You regularly pointed out that Claremont fails to explain what is going on much of the time. This is hilarious because in the rest of the run, a recurring criticism is how much he over-explains, often dedicating pages to recapping previous issues and explaining the nuances of powers over and over again. But you are totally right. It was strange to hear you discuss 196 and not acknowledge the most infamous part infamous part of the issue where Kitty uses the N-word. We forgot to mention that, Will. But you read it on Marvel Limited, so you might have... I bet it was censored out again. I thought we did mention it. We mentioned it with God Loves, Man Kills, but she does it again in issue 196. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's right. Um, and it was weird. Um, perhaps they changed it in the edition you read. I bet that is true because you were reading it on Marvel Unlimited. That's right. Um, and it was shocking to see it again, but we talked about it with God Loves, Man Kills. And I don't know if we had anything to add. Uh, anyway, back to this email. Uh, one thing Claremont was famous for was setting up plot lines years in advance. He was actually quite good at the slow build of gigantic story arcs. Uh, you may enjoy this list, and he links to a list, of unresolved plot lines hanging out for the future writers to pick up. Many were established in the issues you have read. The list was written in 1995, so many have been resolved, but it's still fun to see all the concepts Claremont introduced that played out over decades. Thank you again. This is a true joy to listen to the john Byrne ff stuff is great i look forward to enjoying those episodes as well michael um, well for a guy who wishes we were still going that's a pretty generous that's a pretty generous yeah. reaction to our decisions to break his heart and not <laughs> read more x-men i do think uh i always heard that one of claremont's biggest weaknesses was setting up plot lines and never getting to them uh so yeah. i remember hearing that in in the later years where it's like he's is he ever going to get back to this or that and i think sometimes he set these things up not with an intention to ever get back to them but just he might get back to them which is a little different than being great at starting plot lines in advance i think he's great at laying seeds for sure uh okay uh, i'm seeing here the um the n-word usage in 196 is is sort of redacted it's like blacked out with a rectangular bar in the marble unlimited version yeah Okay. But the the N is there, so you you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah. I can't believe we didn't talk about that either. We blew it on that. When I when I read it, I thought about it, I was like, oh, we're gonna have to talk about this again. And then I think because we're so oh, God near loves the man end, kills, yeah. And we had talked about it so recently that I just forgot it when we were covering it, or maybe I was tired. Sometimes I'm I mean, exhausted. Sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes we just blow. We just blow. Uh, Michael also lists a bunch of stuff that is coming after issue 200. You want me to read this list to you, Will? Yes. A major new characters who are now considered classic include Cable, Gambit, Bishop, Jubilee, Psylocke, the Mutant Massacre, the first crossover. The seeds have already been sown in what you've read. Great new bad guys like the Marauders and Reavers. Fall of the Mutants sets up years of stories in which the world believes the X-Men are dead. Uh, introduction of the uh, Genosha as a concept. Inferno, a hot mess of a crossover, but a fun idea and it has its moment. It ties together plot lines from X-Men, X-Factor, and New Mutants. Uh, years of there being no X-Men team. Everyone is scattered and having their own adventures. Some of the absolute best X-Men stories ever. Incredible stories that could only be told in a pre-email, pre-mobile phone world. 245 is an underrated personal favorite. Hilarious send-up of DC's Invasion crossover with early Rob Liefeld art. Love it or hate it. 268 guest stars Captain America and Black Widow and his half-set in World War II. The Extinction Agenda. A great crossover set in Genosha that brings the team back together. Executioner's Song, which we talked about in one episode briefly. 
uh, a not terrible crossover that ties up some plot points. <laughs> um, Mark Silvestri and Jim Lee with old school coloring, in my humble opinion, the best comic art ever. And finally, Claremont pens a good Shi'ar story towards the end of his run. I think some of this is Michael just loving the stories that he read. Maybe we would have enjoyed them too. If we didn't I, read- I love that enthusiasm though. And I, yeah. and I relate because I feel that way about a lot of the stories we read as, as kids. And he's, I'm sure he's right that those stories are good. I mean, like there's a reason why the X-Men dominated the Marvel universe for this whole time. But it is like Executioner Song. Uh, uh, we talked about that briefly with Brett Whitewell. Yes. Uh, and he talked about, what was it? Yes, we talked about with Brett White uh, and he loved it, but he like also acknowledged it like it was a mess, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and Michael's selling point is it ties up some plot points. It's a very well. funny <laughs> selling point. Um, and I've read things. I read some of Inferno. I've read some of Fall of Mutants. So some of that I do remember. And I, I remember Inferno being kind of bad, though I enjoyed some of the Excalibur stuff. Uh, but also like I wasn't deep into it. So I just did not have the chance to love it i do feel good about where we stopped but i can also <laughs> I, see I still feel good having done over 100 issues of a series that and that includes at least some of the most seminal stuff um and we have another email from our pal dean uh he says hello will and kevin hope you're well i am i'm well i'm well yeah uh, i was wondering when you interview someone when you interview someone before recording, do you ask them about their preferred name and or pronunciation? I heard you refer to Demetrius as JM in those interviews and was thinking if that's strange for them. It's obviously their professional name. However, I do often hear them referred to themselves as Mark or be referred to by other people. I'm just curious about some social norms as if I'm a Nick Weiger type. Uh, love your work and podcasts. Warm regards, Dean. Well, JM, we did ask him. We asked mm-hmm. him before we started. Because uh, we've interviewed him twice, so we definitely did before the second time. We did both times. Okay, yeah. So because we weren't sure about his last name, how to pronounce it, and we would have gotten we, it wrong. And, and you did ask if he preferred to be called JM or John, John Mark or what, whatever he preferred. He said he's like most people call me JM, and I think especially because we're not close friends with him. I do yeah, hear he, him referred to Mark, like when Keith Giffen talks about him, it's like Mark. But that's a different relationship than you and I have with him. Yeah, it's not as close as us. Third interview, I think he's going to demand we call him Mark. <laughs> but yeah, we ask. I think we generally asked. I mean, we there's a chance we forgot with somebody, but most people we've had on, we've asked beforehand pronunciations and what they preferred to be addressed as if there was if it was questionable. And everybody we've interviewed has been really gracious to us. Uh, even if Claremont was mad at the entire comic book industry, he was nice to us. Yeah, Chip Zdarsky asked us to refer to him as Malord, and we didn't do that. I guess. That's just called on a chip, us. but yeah. And he was right. You know, he got mad at us. He's like, you I asked you and I was like, yeah, you're right. No, you're right. I thought it was yeah. a joke. And he was like, it wasn't a joke. I was serious. Ne- he goes, I've never joked. He's like, I don't, I don't. Why do people keep laughing at some of my comics? Yeah. He was mad that people thought Howard the Duck and Sex Criminals were funny. To him, they're a hundred percent serious. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we do ask. So those are the emails we're going to read today. Um, we may or may not read emails in future episodes. Send us pitches for our movie talk segment mm-hmm. or media. It's movies, TVs, books. Media, yeah, because we might, we might do podcasts. We might do other, I mean, you know. I consume a lot of media. Follow me on Letterboxd if you want to be reading my opinions on this stuff. I'm Willie Ooh. B. Hines. You can follow me on Letterboxd. I don't know what my name is on it. 
So good luck. <laughs> but I'm well, he's one of my friends. He can follow me I, and then find Kevin. I'm probably Kev Hines. That's mostly usually what I am in things. Yeah. And um, and we'll come back for another episode of <laughs> instead of doing more Claremont Mutants, which many people have asked us to do. Yes. Come back for another episode of Squadron Supreme. <laughs> which some people have asked us to do. One person? <laughs> I think more than one, but okay. Uh, okay. one person loudly and a few others. Quietly. Softly. Okay, yeah. yeah we'll come back another episode, guys. We'll Bye. see you. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just gonna talk about comics. comics.